head off to their children's Bible lesson with Miss Elaine. Let's sing them out with Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Glad you're all here. To all of our folks watching online, glad you're with us this morning. Uh, If not in person, at least in spirit. We begin a new series this morning. But it's related to the previous series we just did. We have been talking about the church. We spent several weeks talking about what the church is, who the church is, what a church does. We looked at it from God's perspective and a bit from our perspective. And one of the main takeaways from that series of lessons should have been We are the church. One of the things that we stressed when this pandemic began was that the church is not the four walls, the church is the people. Well and good. But what I want to do with this series, I'm I'm entitling it God versus the Church. As we move out of the global pandemic. I want us to look at these churches in Asia Minor in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. There's seven of them. And I want to see the message. I want us to see the message of Jesus to His church. These churches spread over a wide geographical area. And one thing that will come up again and again And again, is Jesus saying, I have this against you. Sometimes he'll lead in with, you guys are doing great with this, but I have this against you. Other times, he just comes right out and he's like, not a lot of good I can say, and I have this against you. God versus the church. Jesus speaking to these churches in the first century, and yet at the same time, it is for us today. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, and I want us to read the first seven verses of Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2, beginning in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil and have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. You have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned your first 
love or the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. Do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you spoke to your church 2,000 years ago with the message they needed to hear. We pray that you would speak to your church today and help us to see the message as it applies to us as we live, move, and have our being in the 21st century. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. A man and his friend were playing golf. The man was getting ready for his swing, and so he approached the ball, and as he was preparing for his swing, he happened to look up, and driving by the golf course was a a long funeral procession. The man took off his golf cap, got down on his knees, bowed his head, and began to pray. His friend was just impressed with this, and he said, wow, I This must be the most thoughtful and touching thing I have ever seen. This is is great that, that you would stop your golf swing so that you could honor the funeral procession that is driving by. And that is, what thoughtfulness. The man, he got up off his knees, he dusted off his golf pants, and he replied, yeah, well... We were married nearly 40 years. I figured this was the least I could do. (laughs) That's goofy, right? I mean, it's, it's a comical story, yes? And yet, the reality is a catastrophe. When first love becomes functional love, It is a tragedy. And yet, that is what many Christians do, and perhaps even some sitting here, perhaps some watching online. We give a nod to God as we go about our life business as usual. First love is more than functional love. It is fiery love, and when the fire goes out, It is not long before the church flatlines. Don't take my word for it. There are any number of church growth gurus who will say a similar thing. In fact, uh, Tom Rainier is one of those church growth gurus who wrote a book several years ago. It was called Autopsy of a Deceased Church, and he outlined several things that are characteristic of a deceased or a dead church. But you know what? Don't even take his word for it. Ask the Ephesians about when you lose that loving feeling. When the fire of love goes out. And and the church in Ephesus, it provides a very interesting 
case study. And I can share with you any number of <clears throat> historical facts about the city of Ephesus that the church would have been situated in. I have them here in my notes. Bullet points A through K. The bottom line is, someone wrote, no one could live in Ephesus without weeping about the immorality. That's the situation that the church in Ephesus faced. And you know, when you look back and you look at these seven churches in Asia Minor, you have Smyrna and Pergamum, Thyatira, Laodicea, Philadelphia. The church that we have the most information about is Ephesus. We know, <clears throat> we know about the advantages that they enjoyed. We know the actions that they employed. We know also the affection that they destroyed. When it comes to the advantages that they enjoyed, well, in the first place, an apostle established the church there. Go back and read Acts 19. The apostle Paul planted this church. Then he stayed there for a total of three years, teaching there in that city, to the point that all of Asia... All of Asia Minor heard the word of the Lord. More than that, when the apostle was traveling back through, he travels to a city called Miletus. He's going back to Jerusalem. He summons the elders from Ephesus to meet him in Miletus, and he encourages them. These elders had apostolic encouragement from the Apostle Paul. He personally counseled these Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 35. And he warned them. He warned the church that there would be false teachers, wolves in sheep's clothing. He warned them of false doctrine, which would threaten the church, would draw disciples away from Christ. And then there was also... The emissaries that the Apostle Paul would send to Ephesus. Paul would send well-qualified, talented workers to work with the church in Ephesus in order to teach them. Guys like Tychicus in Ephesians 6, verses 21 and 22. Timothy, who is the minister, it would seem, in the city, the church of Ephesus in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 3. These were among those whom Paul would send to be with the church during his absence. We could also talk about apostolic tradition. One of the traditions is that the Apostle John, after he ended his exile on Patmos, he came back to the mainland and he spent his final years in Ephesus. Later in life, he was so infirm, he couldn't get himself to church. He'd have to be carried in by four young men on a mat and they would bring him into the assembly and they would ask him, Brother John, is there anything you want to share with the church? And he would share three simple words in English at least. Love one another. Love one another. And then there were the inspired letters. We know about Ephesians, and you're probably going, letters? It means more than one. Uh, Nick, where's Second Ephesians at? I know about the letter to the Ephesians that we have in our Bibles. Where's Second Ephesians? It's right here. In Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7, this is a letter from Jesus 
So they had a letter from the Apostle Paul, and now here is the Lord himself sending them another epistle. These are the advantages that the church in Ephesus enjoyed. What a blessed congregation. Not only do they have all of these advantages, but let's talk about the actions that they employed there in their city. This was a church which was busy right from the get-go to the point, as we read in Acts chapter 19 and verse 10, that from Ephesus the gospel went out, and they, if they were evangelistic. They went and they shared the gospel all throughout Asia Minor. They had, this was a church that had shepherds that were guarding them from the wolves and the false doctrine that these false teachers would bring in. Acts chapter 20. Verses 31 and 32, again, that conversation they had with Paul. This was a strong congregation. And it continued to be. Decades later, here we are. And note the high praise of Jesus in the first three verses. By the way, I guess we need to back up and talk about the Lord Jesus himself, right? Because it really is about him. The Lord Jesus Christ. You get a, a powerful picture prophetically through a vision that John has of Jesus in chapter 1. Beginning in verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and, I, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his waist. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Powerful vision of the Son of God, of Jesus. So powerful is it. Verse 17, when I, the Apostle John, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Which is typical reaction when someone has a close encounter of the divine kind. Laid his right hand on me, he said, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Again, it's a, it's a powerful vision of the Son of God. And so, when we come to verse 1, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, what are those seven stars, Jesus? We get back up to verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand, the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So we don't have to speculate about, well, stars. Yeah, what, what are stars? Uh, what, what, what is that a picture of prophetically and, and metaphorically and all that? Because Jesus tells us. Seven stars, the seven angels, or the seven messengers, could be also translated that way, of the seven churches. And also, Verse 1 of chapter 2, he walks among the golden lampstands. What are those? Well, he tells us again, back up just one verse. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. Asia, or, uh, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, and the rest. All those churches there in Asia Minor. And so here is Christ in their midst. And notice the first two words he says. I know. I know, and this is actually an echo from Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of Yahweh. He ponders all his paths, and that is true about the Lord with his church. 
why he can say, I know several things about you. First of all, I know your works. Again, this is a church that was hard at work. They were doing good work. I know your, to- your toil. I know your patient endurance, how you can't bear with those who are evil. Jesus knows all of this. The, the hard work, the laborious work that they're engaged in, and, and literally it's this idea of they are taking a beating for standing for Jesus. Could be a, a physical thing. Physical persecution was not outside the realm of possibility in the first century. But probably also theologically they're taking a beating from all those false teachers. And yet they take a licking and they keep on ticking. They kept on going and they kept on working. And so Jesus says, I, I know your work, I know your toil, I know your patient endurance. In the midst of these difficulties, you patiently endure all of these things. And I know your intolerance. And you cannot bear with those who are evil. Look at verse 6. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans. Don't miss this. Jesus says, I hate that too. Oh, so much for Jesus meek and mild. Well, no, he is meek and mild to us who believe. But to those who disbelieve, to the ones who are doing evil, there's only the wrath of the Lamb upon them. And that's what we see here with this hatred, this intolerance of evil and wickedness and false teaching and things that would upset and turn his church away from him. And also, you have been tested by those who call themselves apostles, but they're not, false apostles. False apostles apparently are coming in and wreaking all kinds of havoc as well. And yet Jesus says, I know. I know all about it. And I know your dedication. Verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Jesus knew all about the church in Ephesus. And may I just say, he knows all about the work of his church here at Davis Park. He knows all of these things. And and we'll take a deep dive on that in just a moment. But what more could be said about the church in Ephesus, right? What more could be said? They, these must have been elite Christians. Uh, this must have been a superior congregation there in Ephesus. They must have been a perfect church, and you should steer clear of it lest you come in and muddy things up with your imperfections, right? Well, no, not really. They were an awful lot like we are today. Very much like us. And in fact, notice, when we say all, after all the actions that they employed, what about the affection that they destroyed? Verse 4, I have this against you. This is God, because that's what all of those images earlier about Jesus tell us about his nature and his character. And He is God, second person of the Godhead. God who put on flesh to live among us. And he has this against his church. I have this against you. You have abandoned. The idea of abandoned is you left it behind. You departed from it. It's a word that can also mean divorce. Ooh, you've divorced your first love. These Christians, they had that high school sweetheart of their faith. 
And yet they had abandoned it. They'd left it behind. They had even divorced it. The affection, that love they had at the first. What was it? Well, there's all kinds of speculation. There's some who say that it was their love for Christ. And so they become entangled with all kinds of worldly things. And they fail to have loved what they should have loved in the first place, which is Christ. I guess that's possible. But it seemed like it seems like they, they still loved the Lord. They, they're orthodox. They're, we would say it this way, right? They're a sound congregation, yeah? Yeah, they, they love the true doctrine. They are doctrinally sound. Maybe it's their love for one another. I mean, it was that was the first new commandment that Christ gave us, yes? That we ought to love one another. As He has loved us, so we ought to, ought to love one another, as He says in John 13, verses 34 and 35. And so maybe, maybe an attitude of skepticism had crept in. And now they're looking at one another and they're saying, you know, I know I'm in, but you're suspect number one on my list when it comes to who's actually in our fellowship circle. It's not outside the realm of possibility when you have all these false apostles coming in, right? Pretending to be an apostle, and a true apostle, and yet proving to be false in the end of it. With all the, the heresy the Nicolaitans were bringing as well, yeah, it could create this atmosphere of skepticism and suspicion. And I know I'm in, but I don't know about you. Maybe their love for one another. Maybe their love for the lost. Because one of the things that Jesus goes on to say here, he says in verse 5, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. What were those first works that they had done? Again, you go back to the Acts 19 narrative, and they were busy making disciples evangelistically going all over Asia Minor. And so it may be that that was their first works and that was their first love. But now, Ephesus, who's hearing the message? Who are you telling the gospel to now? Who are you sharing the gospel with? Again, maybe it was, perhaps, if we were to reconstruct the situation here, maybe it was all those warnings from the Apostle Paul there in Acts 20. Watch out because there's these savage wolves, wolves coming in sheep's clothing, teaching twisted things, and they're not going to spare the flock. And so, once again, you know, that's the danger. That's the danger of heresy, the danger of false doctrine, is that what happens is over time, the church can start to turn inward on itself. It's no longer looking outwardly. Now we've got we to gotta guard what we have. Remember, repent, do the works you did at first, repeat, because the idea of remember, it's a present tense imperative, a present tense command, it's ongoing, keep on remembering. Don't forget to remember, as it were. But if you do not, again, these are the words of Jesus. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. 
What does it mean to lose your candlestick, your lampstand? What does it mean to keep your lampstand, your candlestick? Well, what is the lampstand? You go back and the seven lampstands of the seven churches. And so if Jesus says, you'll hold on to what you have, that means you'll continue to be my church. But if you do not, I'm going to take away your lampstand or your candlestick. It depends on your translation, right? What does that mean? Jesus says, you're not my church anymore. Did they listen? Right? That's what we want to know, right? Did they listen? Did they remember, repent, and do the works that they did at the first? Historically, we can, we can look back. We see that the church in Ephesus continued on, they, it continued on after the revelation. One of the early church writers, his name is Ignatius of Antioch. He, we don't know a lot about him, but we know he was arrested. He was on his way to Rome to be martyred for his faith. And on the way, he wrote several epistles to churches along the route. One of the epistles he sent was to the church in Ephesus. Ignatius to the church in Ephesus. It's a brief little epistle there in the second century when Ignatius wrote. And one of the things he wrote is, But you, being full of the Holy Spirit, do nothing according to the flesh, but all things according to the Spirit. You are complete in Christ, who is the Savior of all people, especially of them that believe. Then he went on, he talked about how they weren't putting up and they weren't listening to false teachers, even in his day. Did they listen? Well, maybe. Seems like perhaps they did. In fact, a little later on in church history, you get to about the 5th century, the third great council of the early church is held there in Ephesus, about 431 A.D. Did they listen? It's maybe, perhaps, it sounds like it. More importantly, in all this history and background and everything, you need all that to make sense of all the things that Jesus is saying. But more importantly, what about us? What about you, my brothers, my sisters? Are we listening We can go through and we can tick off all of the advantages that we enjoy. Since the inception, virtually since the inception of this congregation, whether it was here, La Loma, before that, just about since its inception, there have been good godly leaders of the church that have served in various capacities. Elders, even to today, we have elders who who desire strongly to see spiritual growth and maturity in the members. We have deacons who are willing to serve in their various capacities. God's Word is readily available. Not only do you have the 66 books that make up your Bible, but the sermons are available online via the podcast, YouTube, and Facebook. We're doing stuff on a regular basis. We can talk about the actions that we employ, all the, the deeds that Christ knows about. I think about showers of love that we do every Thursday. I think about the missions emphasis that we have both locally, stateside with Minnesota that we partner with, but also globally with India and with Cambodia. Buddy's teaching in Cambodia, as it were, every Monday night. 
We can talk about our perseverance. In an increasingly secular culture, we continue to champion the values and principles of God. We can talk about our intolerance of false doctrine. We won't put up with it. You won't put up with it. If you hear it come from me, I know you're going to talk to me about it. Yes? If not, Sister Clark will. I know she will. Amen? Yeah. We can talk about our work in educating the next generation through the education department. We're going to we're already starting that back up with what Sister Eileen is doing right now. And, and we're gonna, next month, we're going to take it to another step and open up Bible class on July 11th. There's your alert for that, by the way. What about the affection? What about your affection? My affection? Have we abandoned our first love? And this is not a question from me, it's a question from the Lord. You understand that. What about our love for Christ? Is it Jesus saying, you don't love me like you used to? What about our love for the church? You don't love your siblings like you used to. What about your love for evangelism? You don't love the lost like you used to. And you're not, consequently, you are not sharing the word of God with others like you know you ought to. Only you can test and examine yourself to determine if you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Old and New Testament tell us to do this. Lamentations 3 verse 40. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. Test, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let me ask, why won't what happened in Ephesus happen here to us? We could talk about the leaders, yes? Maybe it starts with the leaders. Leaders who are willing to face the truth. It's true, we've had a number of departures. Not only because of COVID-19, but other things uh, through death. Departures through people moving away. Are we willing to face the truth about where we are situated right now? You know, one of the things I read this week is that 8 out of 10... Eight out of ten churches began in order to reach a specific location, a specific community, a specific neighborhood. And guess how it was reflected? It was reflected in the name. What is the name of this congregation? It is the Davis Park Church of Christ, yes? Reflected in our name is the fact that we are situated in a neighborhood and we are surrounded by it. And perhaps that is one of the emphasis that we need to focus on moving forward. As we look to the future and as we consider the things that Jesus said to Ephesus. I already mentioned it a moment ago. Leaders, they, they face the truth, they begin there, but then it also trickles down, as it were, to the members. Every member needs to engage in self-evaluation and self-examination. Test yourselves to determine whether you are in the Lord. Determine if you are germinal or terminal. Are you primed for growth? Or is there 
Is it that you're full of dead men's bones? By the way, that's Jesus' language, yes? And then the church will pursue a course toward new levels of faithfulness. Jesus prescribes a two-step method. Ready? Remember and repent. I guess if you want to toss in here, do the works that you did at first, but I think that's assumed in repentance. That when you repent, it's a change of mind that results in change of action. Both of these, by the way, are commands. There's not an option here. Like, well, I guess I'll get around to it when I feel like it. Remember and repent. Whatever affection has been destroyed needs to be rekindled and needs to be renewed. As we mobilize the Davis Park Church of Christ coming out of this global pandemic, what is one emphasis that we can focus on or or perhaps rather refocus on? At one level, I'll say, <laughs> I don't know what this looks like. Which is, by the way, for, a, a, for leadership to say, I don't know, actually for anyone to say that, that's actually the, one of the hardest things for people to admit. To say, I, I don't know. But I believe that what it may look like is a reconnection with the neighborhood and the community in and around the Davis Park Congregation. To love our neighbors, the second greatest commandment. We talked about this a few weeks ago, yes? That fulfillment of the great commandments shows up in the fulfillment of the great commission. That as we love our neighbors, as we love ourselves, that's part of what it means to even make disciples of all nations. And so that emphasis reflected in our name ought to be manifest in the works that we engage in. The church in Ephesus, I'm persuaded it teaches us that it is possible to be a doctrinally sound congregation, a doctrinally sound church, but still be a church in decline because you've abandoned your first love. Do the works you did at first. That was what Jesus commands. It's another imperative. That your love for Christ, renew it. If it's brotherly love, brotherly affection, do it again. If it's evangelism, get with it. Whatever the first love is, and especially talking about coming to Christ, whatever that first love is, love it again. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Is it Jesus talking or is it the Spirit? Yes. All right. These words are read, and at the same time, it is the Spirit who is speaking why he's called the spirit of christ elsewhere in scripture but it's god speaking to his church is look at that right let let him hear what the spirit says to the churches does he mean all seven churches in asia minor could be i'm persuaded that there were multiple churches in, in ephesus and that the messenger who brought this letter to the church in ephesus it would have made the rounds in that city But I believe there's an even broader application here. Let the churches here, even the churches in the 21st century, let even the Davis Park Church of Christ hear what the Spirit says. To the one who conquers, the one who overcomes. What's interesting is that the term that's used here, nikati, 
Actually, we uh, in English, uh, there's a shoe company named after it, Nike, right? Victory, that's the idea of this term. The one who overcomes, the one who conquers, the one who is victorious. It's actually related, by the way, to the same term, just the previous verse about the Nicolaitans. These were the victory people, the conquering people. Jesus says, actually, no, they're not. Only the people that are in Him are the conquerors. And they are more than conquerors, as we are told in Romans 8 and verse 37. Apart from Christ, following perverse doctrine, leaving your first love, that will leave you actually as a weakling and dying. But the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. What does that mean? Well, it's connected here also to the paradise of God. It's in the paradise of God. What does all that mean? Well, here's a good rule for interpretation of the book of Revelation. You know what the key to unlocking the 66th book of the Bible is? The other 65. (laughs) It's as if John, standing upon the rich prophetic heritage that he inherited as the last man standing borrowed from all of that and, and brought it to bear on this one book. And specifically here, all of this ties right back to what was lost at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3. The tree of life, lost because of sin. That's eternal life, by the way. The paradise that was lost because of sin with Adam and Eve, regained because of what Christ did on the cross. Christ gives us more than we lost in Adam. That's the point. Christ, the second Adam, restores to us access to the tree of life and to the paradise of God. So what do we do? What do we do with this? First of all, brothers and sisters, hear the words of Jesus. Remember, repent, do the work she did at first. Talked a bit about self-examination, yes? Where are you, my brother, my sister? That was the question God asked of Adam and Eve in the garden. Where are you? We must answer that question honestly, truthfully. If we would truly conquer and overcome and have access to that tree of life, and the paradise of God. Where are you? We have challenges, we have opportunities that are facing us in the future. But Christ is speaking to His church. Wherever you are, my brother and sister, remember and repent. One other thing, this business about access to the tree of life in the paradise of God. That is a promise that is exclusive to the people of God. It's exclusive to the church. My friend, if you are here this morning, and if you are not in Christ, I'm not talking about just coming and sitting in church. If you are listening online, and you are not in Christ, in order to have access to the tree of life, In the the paradise of God, it means that you must be 
in Christ. And in order to be in Christ, to be united with Christ, it means, well, he gave us one of the things here, right? It means repentance, turning away from God, or turning away from sin and turning to God. It means abandoning sin, forsaking all of that so that we might gain God. And it means being united to Christ means that we are united with Him in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And that happens in baptism. When we are baptized, immersed in water, all of our sin is washed away. We who were dead in sins, now we are raised to newness of life, even eternal life. And now we do have access to the tree of life in the paradise of God. Now, yes, you have eternal life now. We have eternal life now. And yet there's the promise of more to come and even greater realization and fulfillment of that. Jesus is speaking. Are we listening? The one who has ears to hear, let him or her hear. Let us pray. Lord God, we are about to come to your table. And we are, in, we are invited to examine ourselves even before we come to the table. We're going to sing in a moment about how we abandon everything. How we surrender all so that we might have you. You indeed are our everything. You are the only one who can truly fill us. And I pray, Father, that we would hear clearly your voice this morning, spoken through the Son and through the Spirit. May we be people, even your people, who when we hear your voice, we answer. Lord God, enable us to abandon all things that are not in keeping with your will. And if we have abandoned our first love, rekindle anew within us that first love. For those who are here, those who are listening online who have not yet been obedient to Christ, we pray that as they continue to move in that direction, that you would continue by the Spirit to convict them through your word, that they would be persuaded and that they would come to faith and obedience. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.